Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is sitting across from me. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Hello. And Robert Craig is with us. Robert is the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone. So we record on Thursday mornings. And uh, we want to just start the podcast this week by talking a little bit about the impending hurricane that, as some of you are listening on Sunday on uh, 1510, is probably already hitting Florida. And we wanted to talk a little bit about some of the political implications that started playing out this week. Some of this stuff we talked a bit about as it related to Hurricane Harvey. Um, And, you know, one, of course, being the obvious, this is... A Category 5 hurricane as we record. It may be down to a 4 by the time it hits Florida, but nonetheless, it is currently the strongest recorded hurricane ever, following on Harvey, which was like <laughs> the biggest rainmaker possibly ever. Uh, climate change, obviously, is a huge part of this. But then also, Robert and Jorna, I want to get your thoughts on Uh, which is less of a bigger topic, but critically important. Sort of the role of government and sort of how we help people, common good, and just sort of the discussion that's already occurring around Harvey, but we see now starting to play out around the support for actually the victims of hurricanes and how the Republicans have not always, in in fact, often do not support this kind of funding. Well, there's a whole lot of levels uh, just to tick off a couple quickly, and then uh, I'm sure Jorna has some, some strong opinions. Uh, in a global warming scenario, which many of the setters and people involved are still in the denial mode, it's not just response afterwards, which is very important, but it's they're predictable, these, these major uh, events, and they're going to be much more common, and therefore planning for it in the first place. We now spend about 98% of the money on actual relief rather than trying to get global climate resiliency. And we particularly don't deal with the equity issues, that is low-income folks and folks of color who are poor and concentrated in cities, like we saw in Katrina, are impacted the most and help the least. And so in Texas, for example, in Houston, we've had uncontrolled development, which is part of the problem, and a whole leadership structure there that, that's in denial on that. So there's that. Then there's the, simply the question of, is it the government's role after something happens uh, to help or not? And we have Texas senators and politicians who've said it wasn't when it was other states, but now, of course, want the money. And so there's a whole worldview question there around role of government. But I just want to say it's not just the relief, it's also the planning in the first place. Sure, and and absolutely. Taking a step back, I don't want to negate the role of the volunteers that are going out and are rescuing folks and are making sure that the overstretched um, government resources that are being put in place and are in place to help folks aren't important, um, because they are. But the media is really doing a disservice to the role of government, in in my opinion, um, both through Harvey, through all of the wildfires that are going on, which are getting zero coverage in the Northwest. Great point. Um, And now this, you know, monster storm headed to Florida, which just decimated all of these islands in Puerto Rico and, you know, all of these things. And so we have to, I think it's our responsibility to do a better job then because clearly the media is not going to do it. People don't have the ability to do it who are in the middle of all of this, but to tell the story of of how government has to be there because this is no fault of 
anyone who lives in Houston that a giant hurricane came. It's no fault of people who live in Montana that, or in Oregon that somebody threw a firecracker in the gorge. You know, I mean, things like that happen, and we have to tell that story that that's why government exists. It's not just to take your taxes and spend it on superfluous things. It's to help people every day. There was a cartoon maybe 20 years ago that had uh, this couple like like floating in in like a river like during a flood and and a boat like labeled FEMA coming up and uh, one of them yelling thank God a government bureaucrat uh, but literally there's been a lot of coverage by the Texans about the heroic individual neighborly thing and this is what Ted Cruz has talked about that plays a role that is heroic we do need people to help each other but that is not sufficient unless you actually think the neighbors should literally uh, put in, you know, more than their own mortgage to help the uh, to help the other neighbors, right? They just don't have the resources. But we also need to make these things less expensive by investing. And we need to invest in a way that creates more family-supporting jobs, which are lacking, by uh, investing in climate resiliency. And by the way, perish the thought in Texas, actually trying to prevent uh, rapid climate change or reduce it, how quickly it happens and how drastic it is, uh, we can create a whole ton of jobs as well. But instead, we're locked in this gridlock where we don't make such investments, where we have where we have the only major political party in the world that denies climate controlling our government, and where literally they only want uh, bailouts as it, when it's Texas or their constituents and don't care about anyone else's constituents and continue to have this adolescent view of government, which is not appropriate for the 21st century. Well, Robert, you make a great point and you have certainly talked about this in regard to the state budget and the federal budget before where you've made the comparison to um, you know doing what's morally right and how you know we expect churches to put forth all of the aid and you know run the food pantries and that we don't see that as an, a function of government and we expect that this is all this sort of volunteer altruism and well that's just going to be okay the government can go away and not have these sorts of things it's the same thing in my opinion that's happening here thank you volunteers thank you churches you know right it's you have to be there because it's not enough but we can't just make that the default it's about being fact-based. In other words, there are facts that there's global warming. There's facts that we're going to have a lot more natural disasters as a result. There are facts that even if we do the right thing, there's going to be at least a two-degree increase, which is still going to make these more common. It's going to be six degrees if we keep doing what the Texas senators want us to do and Donald Trump wants us to do. Uh, but in addition to that, if you look at something like poverty, right, churches play a huge role, but statistically... They might that they might be able to do ten percent of it, and so you can you can say okay we can do this much of it volunteer, but you have to be realistic. You have to encourage it, and then the other part that can't ha possibly happen by the little house on the prairie vision that never existed, guys. It was just a TV show, right? Um, made up by a right winger, Michael Landon, the star of the show. Uh, then we can do the rest through our own democracy. Not it's not the red coats. It's our democracy. So if you're listening, uh, we really do want to encourage folks to donate money. Uh, it is usually in the cleanup and aftermath of this hurricane, which uh, will certainly fully be on folks later this weekend and uh, early next week. That is always the most helpful. And of course, there are plenty of reputable places to donate. But uh, please, uh, if you can, please do it. I'm sure the folks uh, down south are def definitely going to need it. So with that, we want to spend a couple minutes before we go to break. I want to start to talk a little bit briefly about Foxconn. 
Uh, I know we never talk about Foxconn, but uh, it's, it's our new Weedek. <laughs> it's our new Weedek. Well, look, you know, uh, it's unfortunately like the explosion of Weedek, right? Um, but uh, there's important news uh, this week. It the the Foxconn bill passed out of uh, joint finance, and it had changes. Uh, but it appears it'll be going to the Senate early next week. It could be up for a vote as early as Tuesday in the state Senate. Um, but there was an important change, an important amendment added, and it's a uh, little uh, confusing to us because the amendment essentially would mean that any lawsuits related to this project would skip all the regular, normal legal procedures and go straight to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Jorna, this... This seems uh, legally challenging and iffy at best, but... Look, I feel like I'm an expert <laughs> because when I was like 12, yes. um, my mom bought me a Harvard sweatshirt because I was going to go to Harvard and be a high-powered attorney. That plan went really awry. Uh, <laughs> so I feel qualified to say, huh? Huh? Like, yeah. how, does that, how does that work? It's one thing for the United States Supreme Court to reach down into lower courts as something is pending and say, oh, hey, we want to take this up because we see this is going to be a, a you know big national issue with implications and it's going to get to us anyway. But how do you just say, mm, we're going to go straight to the Wisconsin Supreme Court because they're all our justices? Yeah. What? <laughs> Let's see how good this <laughs> yeah. deal is. I'm going to abrogate basic environmental <laughs> laws, let them reroute streams, do what they want with wetlands, etc. Check. Check. <laughs> uh, we're going to give them at least six times more per job, and we're going to put WEDEC in charge, which means we don't know if there are any jobs. Check. Check. And uh, we need to I'm coming along, George. We need to have their own special Foxconn legal process, which starts and ends immediately with the most corrupt court in Wisconsin, the one bought and paid for by the Koch brother and the Bradley Foundation dark money. Check. Okay. <laughs> and this is great for the state. And why is I mean, we need to th try to block it and continue to do that, and we're committed to doing that. We've had press events with our members, co-op members across the state, and we have found this to be extremely unpopular. The polling shows it to be extremely unpopular, unless it's fixed polling, which also has been out there. Check. Uh, yes. Check. Sorry, Jordan, I missed it. So it comes down to the most basic thing in democracy. We need to make this as publicly prevalent as possible for the next elections, because the latest research from Tufts University shows that there is no positive impact at all outside a 30-mile radius, even if you buy all the impact, okay? Which means any of these Republican senators in Appleton, in Wausau, in Eau Claire, in Chippewa Falls, et cetera, they're going to vote for this, are voting to send their constituents' money to a horrible deal that does not benefit them in the least when you could take the $3 billion and invest it in something like education, rural energy, and benefit everyone. Check. Check. All right, on that note, though, we got to get out of here and take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we left, we had just gotten into talking about Foxconn, which... It's just a great name. Yeah, yeah. And Robert had laid out what a great deal it is and went through all the fine reasons the state Senate should approve it, you know, 100% next weekend. No, seriously, folks, it's very important, as Robert was suggesting, that we keep the pressure on. 
if you're listening to this on Sunday, please call tomorrow. Call right now. Call the legislative. Call now. Fill their voicemail. <laughs> call now, yeah. right? Call the legislative hotline. You can uh, uh, call the number. Uh, it's 1-800-362-9472. Again, 1-800-362-9472. And, you know, just be very clear with them, right? Like, this is a bad deal. You don't have to get into a debate. Uh, it's important that you be on the record and also... This is actually becoming an issue that could be really huge in the elections next year. Well, and I think one of the elections that's coming up, especially with this whole Supreme Court, uh, you know, idea that this case could just go straight there, is that maybe Foxconn could buy the open seat that is up oh, for the spring yeah. elections, and then they would have what, like a f eight person majority <laughs> and the bonus is that with the recusal rules divide devised by the supreme court itself ah, yeah. uh, they could be bought by foxconn and then they could still rule Get on foxconn cases foxconn, yeah. which of course would be a boon to uh, a business-friendly environment as we hear from scott walker and the republicans in the legislature business-friendly means i don't know the gilded age right and worse because it's bigger you know the the beautiful thing about this whole supreme court amendment is it just totally lays bare how ridiculous the Supreme Court is and how they know it's totally bought and paid for by them that they would would do this. Mm -hmm. um, and that they know they're violating a bunch of laws. <laughs> that, that the clean Wisconsin's of the world, at least on the environmental standards, are going to sue their so, pants yeah, off. Yeah, so now yeah. we're going to prevent that. Right? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, look, and Jorna, your connect to the Supreme Court race next spring is excellent. And uh, open, open seat currently. Uh, and and there are a couple of uh, folks on the progressive side that are running. And next week in Milwaukee on Thursday, September 14th, we're going to have a candidate forum where each of those can uh, two progressive candidates, uh, both Tim Burns and Rebecca Dallet, will get an opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about what they're uh, proposing. And we'll have some questions and answer that. Is it going to be at the Milwaukee Area Technical College on Thursday at 6? We'll have details. And we will be broadcasting that on Facebook Live. So it you is can... a shame that Justice Gableman is not here to answer, but uh, since he's retired, yeah. to, to part of the field, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know if we would have needed to spend an hour with Justice Gableman uh, to understand his legal principles. But so, folks, please, if you if you can't come, uh, watch us on Facebook. We'll uh, be streaming it live next week. Join us. Can I, since I'm so excellent, Matt, can yes. I draw another um, correlation? Of course. Okay, so since Republicans know that they're going to need, you know, this illegal business deal <laughs> to be litigated <laughs> by their owned uh, Supreme Court, um, let's talk about the state budget and how they have the governor's office they have the house and the, the assembly and the senate and yet we still don't have a state budget i mean it's september right schools are back in session schools are in when, when are we supposed to have a budget usually uh, we usually have one in may we usually have one before summer gets do you really know what rolling. my birthday is at the end of may Happy and birthday. we did not have a oh, budget oh, oh. yeah thanks oh that's a lot right it's already noticing. september we don't have the well budget. it's all about conservative ideology, right? They don't want to have any revenue because they want giant tax giveaways, uh, but they want certain things. They want to build roads, for example. I want certain things, too. In the suburbs. And so they have this little problem. How much to put on the credit card? So anyone, I want to just say that 
everyone, not just Democrats, Democrats, independents, journalists, stop using the word fiscally conservative. It's an oxymoron. There's no such thing. In fact, fiscal conservative ought to mean spendthrift, basically, because they're the ones, when they have full control at the national level, that run up the national debt. And they're the ones who can't even reach a budget agreement because they won't spend any money because they demagogue endlessly that they're going to lower people's taxes. And then they lower the taxes of the people who are the wealthiest or large corporations, mostly, and offer 17 bucks to the average uh, property taxpayer. So, Robert, what you're saying is that I'm kind of like a fiscal conservative because of my credit card debt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's a good way to put it. We're going to say that, and we're going to say that about any of our... Uh, mendicant friends in the world. Um, but, you know, we have in this budget, uh, in the deal, uh, lowering business machinery taxes by 74 million, getting rid of the state alternative uh, uh, minimum tax, which is, of course, mostly for paid by wealthy people. Uh, and so that goes away. Uh, tax incentives for video games and amusement devices. That sounds great. And beekeepers. I don't know why, why beekeepers, but anyway, Rude. maybe there's a good reason for that one. Um, let's see. Uh, there's all sorts of, uh, oh, here's some fiscal conservatism. Audit, audit, audit Medicaid payments made to Planned Parenthood. Well, what, what could go, what could go nothing, wrong with that? Let's, uh, let's go after the most popular health provider in the country because clearly there, there must be malfeasance there. And then... Uh, block Milwaukee from taxing a particular developer, uh, Daniel Katz. That sounds good, good government. Uh, I, did I Daniel used to Katz... rent from Katz properties. There, that's a bang up. Yeah, I was going to say, do block, we, do we block think, them. Do we think Mr. <laughs> Katz might have invested in yes. conservative rule of our government? <laughs> I'm guessing he might have. Uh, so one other thing that is worth pointing out, the Republicans continue in this budget to you know, push the voucher program and expand the voucher program. Uh, on, on Wednesday, they uh, expanded the, the newest voucher program for students with disabilities. It was highly controversial um, and actually much, much opposed by most of the groups that actually serve students with disabilities. Um, and well, well, who needs to hear from yeah, them? They're not um, true conservatives, right? Yeah, well, they're going to expand the program. And, and again, this is at a time when it's been like a decade since they've increased or changed the amount of money that they give to public schools to help students with disabilities. And so it's, it again continues to show that, you know, they're really, the, the, these folks are really radical in, in terms wow. of what they're doing to continue to go They've after public They've also created an industry which will use its proceeds yeah. to lobby for more. Absolutely. Not unlike the nursing home industry, for example. And so our public dollars at work, I like to say, and they're lobbying. And so vouchers were sold on being less expensive per pupil. You watch. They're going to be demanding each and every year, that as long as they exist, that they get as much as public schools get uh, so they can ca claim more profit because they obviously don't spend it on teachers or facilities or programs or anything like that, most of them. Um, so can we go back to my favorite thing still? Yes. The uh, Prius tax. What's the plural of Prius? Pri-i? Pri-i. <laughs> the Pri-i tax. <laughs> yes, thanks for bringing that up, Jordan. <laughs> I, I still think this is so absurd. And, you know, they, they did this when I lived in Virginia as well. I mean, this is an ALEC-type bill that, you know, is not just happening in one state. Like, oh, Wisconsin legislators didn't just think of this on their own, let's be honest. Um it is so absurd to me that we are going to, because Priuses, Pri, do not use as much gas we, and are environmentally more friendly, we should punish them. That 
you know, and other hybrids and things. That's right. ludicrous. Fusion Eye and C-Max Eye and uh, Hybrid Sonata Eye. Yes. Whatever they are, you know, all of these things. I, I think this is, this is you know, fantastic, especially. Maybe we could just go straight to the Supreme Court with this since that's now a thing. <laughs> well, it is, it, is, it, it is a great reflection of current conservative ideology. Mm -hmm. So if you try to, that saving energy is bad. Remember there was a robo, in the original RoboCop, they used to advertise a car based on how low its gas mileage was. So this, this perfectly expresses the right-wing conservative impulse, right? That you're more American if you burn more fossil fuel. And so literally these damn rice burner people who are running these hybrids, they're not paying enough gas tax and then we can't build roads, which of course held up the state budget. And so we're gonna punish them. It's like the opposite of what we should be doing in a scary way, isn't it? <laughs> oh my God, I can't even, you know, and now they're, they're going after our trolley in Milwaukee. Which Anything is, that is that saves energy yes. and is efficient in transportation terms is bad, yeah. right? Yeah. Buy a big gas-guzzling truck. Where is the we'll, we'll pay for all those for free because it's it's more American to to drive a big gas-guzzling truck, right? We that's what's next. I, look, I mean, big gas-guzzling trucks do pull horse trailers. There you go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I want to point that out, Robert, all right? <laughs> so therefore you agree with the... Uh, <laughs> I mean, remember, we just already established I'm a fiscal conservative. <laughs> oh, well, you can't get a hybrid truck. No, no, no. Actually, you can get a flex fuel suburban that could pull a horse there trailer. You go. There you go. All right. Well, I can tell you a vibe can pull a motorcycle trailer, so very small one. A vibe is left out. By the way, <laughs> buying a really small car that's not a hybrid is left out. I don't know why they're not saying any car that gets over right, like 10 miles Honda to the gallon will be taxed. <laughs> thousands of dollars. I don't want to. Don't tell Republicans, but my Honda Fit can get up to thirty-five to thirty-seven. Tax I don't it. Know how they haven't figured that out? How to? Yeah. yeah. Well, Jorna, as you brought up at the beginning of this conversation, it is worth pointing out we still don't have a state budget, so it looks like we're moving closer uh, to that deal. But uh, please, on all of these issues you should contact your state legislator on the budget, particularly vouchers and other issues, right? Uh, there is still time. So do that, get in touch with them, and you can use that same hotline number I gave out earlier. But with that, we got to get out of here, and we'll be right back here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are going to talk about DACA. Jorna? Matt. Uh, yes. Uh, Donald. <laughs> Jorna? Matt. Jorna. Check. So anyways, uh, this has become a huge issue. Uh, President Trump has dis determined in his... He spent a lot of time thinking about this. In his hair. No, he, he did, Jorna. He spent a lot of time... He said this. He's been thinking Bigly. hard about this because, as he said, he loves these people. He loves these kids. He loves them so much that he has essentially decided he to also said he suspend. Loved, he also said he loved everybody. Yes. Okay. So he's suspending what is DACA is called. It's Deferred Action for, for child, Childhood Arrivals. This was a program created in 2012 by President Obama that basically allows young folks, right, who are brought to this country illegally by their parents, not, not their own doing, to get temporary... Uh, reprieve from deportation, from de deportation, I should say. The word. Deportion. <laughs> deportion. Wow. <laughs> Woo. This, this is, is a very deporting policy. Yes. It, but essentially to, to receive permission to work, to study. And a lot of these folks 
hundreds of thousands of them, right, across this country are in schools or in jobs. I believe I heard today Apple has like 200 DACA folks. Well, they grew up in this country. They, yeah. they don't most of, many of them don't even remember most of them that where they what country they That's were right. actually born in. And you're going to suddenly send them back back to Venezuela, young man, right? Yeah, it's it's it is. This truly is one of the more disgusting things in, 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 that that Trump has done, and that's saying a lot, right? It's an incredibly long list, but given who these folks are, uh, and also this this is going to, I think, incredibly unpopular even within some of his base, right? There are a lot of religious folks, both Catholic, Christian, across sort of the religious spectrum on the conservative side, who've actually been very supportive of trying to work on immigration, and particularly these dreamers. Jorna? Oh, I don't... Where to start unpacking all of this? First of all, he he loves, quote, these people. Yeah, well... You know, that's like saying, oh, I've got a gay people. friend, mm-hmm. or, you know, <laughs> enough. Um, he, he isn't. He's vengeful. He has made it his priority number one, from border walls to bad hombres to now repealing DACA, it is priority number one to hurt the Latino community and to tear at the fabric of our society and pull families apart. That is, hands down, what his goal is, to satisfy what is increasingly a shrinking part of his base. Because if you look at what was said prior to when the rumors you know, have been swirling around this for a while, and even prior to his announcement on Sunday of Labor Day weekend, come on now, in the midst of you know hurricanes and things like that, r- ridiculous. Jordan, you know he did say he did that because he knew people would be watching. He thought it would get good ratings, which is appalling. He's a special human. Uh, you know, I mean, this is all just so calculated but a lot of folks from even his own party had expressed concern and have expressed support for DACA, including, but not limited to... Oh, my God, Paul Ryan? Paul Ryan. No way. Paul Ryan. Wow. Actually said last week before President the, the president uh, announced this that, quote, I actually don't think he should do that in, you know, regarding repealing DACA. Um, but then... Trump says, well, I'm actually going to do this. And spineless flip-flopper uh, Paul Ryan says, quote, ending this program fulfills a promise that President Trump made to restore the proper role of the executive and legislative branches. Okay, so mealy-mouthed at best, but still, he's going to go and be a lapdog for the president again. Good job, Speaker. Well, what I Proud of you. would ask, Jorna, is do you believe that this is a principal stand by the boy uh, Speaker? And now he's going to oppose any executive overreaches by Trump on issues that where he agrees w- with the uh, purpose of the overreach. At, oh. oh, Robert, I mean, we know you, what my you, role is. Absolutely, he is. Yeah, you have to draw a <laughs> distinction Sorry. between, and and we have to look for this. We should in the podcast and gen- in in the radio show in general. And that is the distinction between a politician actually taking a principal stand they'll be consistent on and one that's a damn talking point in order to get through a slippery situation again with, with, the, with our crazy president. So uh, we are really pleased to be joined right now by Citizen Action organizer Luz Sosa. Luz, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Able just to come in from a meeting and we're 
fortunate to be talking about DACA, and so we're really glad to have you just quickly join us and tell us a little bit also about what happened here in Milwaukee and also in Racine this week, huge rallies uh, in support of the Dreamers. Yeah, so there are a couple of organizations, uh, including Acción Ciudadana, that are working really hard with, with our members trying to figure out um, some of the ways that we can fight this, uh, this issue. And uh, what we can see is that uh, a lot of people are interested, a lot of young people are rallying, a lot of young people are taking it to the streets, which is really good. And we um, saw this on yesterday, on yes. Monday. Uh, yesterday, there were about uh, 5,000... I apologize. <laughs> yesterday, there were about 5,000 kids who actually were rallying uh, in the streets uh, of Milwaukee. And uh, the situation is very emotional. The, the kids are... They, a lot of them were crying, were desperate. Um, you know, they don't know any other home than actually being here in Milwaukee. What we need to understand is that the average age of the applicants of DACA, uh, they were six years old when they were coming to the United States. So that's the average age. Even though they are young adults now, these were kids that were brought to the United States without their consent. They were, you know, they were brought here. So these kids um, were the only home that they know is the United States. So if for us to now tell them that they have to go back to their home when they don't know any other home is, is completely outrageous. Yeah, I, I, look, th these folks are absolutely courageous heroes. They signed up for this program, right, made a commitment to this country, right? I mean, they really did when they enrolled in this program. And to turn our back on them this way is... I mean, it's immoral. And so I, I, I'm not surprised that these kids feel this way. And it's really important for folks to get involved in this pushback. And uh, talk more about if folks want to get involved with, with uh, you and your organizing cooperative. Yeah, so what we are seeing right now in our organization is that uh, um, our members are, uh, are business owners, you know, professionals. Um, but their families, you know, they have families, they have nieces, nephews, uh, you know, their children who are benefiting from DACA. And so um, they are definitely seeing a change, like I said, that young people are now um, energized by this. So we need to use that energy to keep organizing and, of course, now to turn this into action. What are some of the actions that we can take? Uh, one of the things that I've been telling them is that at Citizen Action in Acción Ciudadana, we are trying to make sure that people vote in the 2018 elections because that's one of the ways that we can ease a little bit of the stress that is happening under this administration. So what can we do? We need to go out and knock on doors and get out in the streets and talk to voters and make sure that they exercise their right and that power when it comes to the 2018 election so that we can be the voice of those who are voiceless at this moment. It's an excellent point. It's worth pointing out in Wisconsin, there are over 100,000 eligible Latino unregistered voters, right? And, and that's a huge amount of folks, and uh, it's a lot. It's important work, and it could absolutely swing swing elections. Uh, Ab absolutely, and we're talking about local elections. We're talking about the governorship. We're talking about elections that really make a difference. The sheriff's race uh, will make a, a big difference for us. We need to make sure that the people who we put in power are actually thinking about our young people and our people of color here in the city of Milwaukee and also in the state of Wisconsin.
We'll uh, lose. Why don't you give your contact info in case anyone wants to get in touch with you and get involved? Yes, my phone number is 414-803-5466. And you can also contact me through Facebook, through Acción Ciudadana de Wisconsin or Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Thank you. Well, great. And uh, we, again, want encourage people to get involved in this and really support these dreamers. This, these folks are courageous, and we all need to stand up and, and support them. So uh, thanks a lot, Luz, for joining us today. And with that, we are going to take a break, and we'll be right back here at the Ballard Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to spend the last chunk of our show talking about our pursuit of fair elections, which <laughs> it's quite uh, quite the joke here in this state on multiple levels. But in particular, we're talking about those legislative districts that uh, we run, that our candidates run in, whether it be Congress, the state legislature, and we have talked extensively about that and. We are going to do more of that with our special guest, that is Anna Dvorak. Anna is one of our lead organizers here for the Milwaukee Organizing Co-op. Anna, Hey, welcome. guys. Thanks for saving the best for last. <laughs> of course. Great. Of course. So Anna's been heavily involved with a lot of our uh, co-op members around the state around pushing for fair maps. And so you're going to have a town hall next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so we want to talk a little bit about the town hall, but... Give folks, let them know a little bit about what's at stake and why we're having a town hall around uh, around fair maps. Sure. So everything um, that our state government and uh, Congress does is impacted by gerrymandering or redistricting. Um, basically, what happens is after every census, which happens in every year ending in zero, so 2010, 2020, et cetera, et cetera, um, the census is taken, we get uh, the population numbers, and then the legislature in Wisconsin is charged with redrawing the state legislative districts so that each one is proportional to population. Um, but how those districts are drawn is very important because you can draw them to be fairly equal based on political party or really, really biased based on political party. And there's also other ways to gerrymander, like racial gerrymandering, giving certain um, racial or ethnic groups like more political power or diluting their political power. There's a number of ways that you can kind of manipulate maps um, to benefit certain interests. So what happened in Wisconsin is in 2011, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. There was just like kind of a big conspiracy or plan, really strategic plan by the Republicans nationally to take over states in which um, the legislature has the power to draw district lines. So in states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina, Wisconsin, you see extremely um, really intense gerrymandering. Um, and what they did was really invest a lot of money in um, state legislative races, specifically assembly races, so that they could have Republican majorities after the 2010 census, so that in 2011 when redistricting happened, Republicans would have control of both houses, and in Wisconsin it was Republicans controlled the legislature and the governorship, so they were really easily able to uh, 
gerrymander the lines and benefit Republicans so that even though we have about um, in Wisconsin maybe a 50-50 balance usually in terms of votes for Democratic legislators and Republican legislators, we still see that the state legislature in Wisconsin is kind of like, uh, you know, it's still skewed heavily to Republican majorities. So it's not it's not reflecting the will of the people. And, and so the current lawsuit that is going to be up essentially is an effort to prove statistically that there is partisan gerrymandering, if I'm correct. And, and that is something that has yet to been proven. So that's what's historic, if I'm correct, about this case. Right, yeah. So there's been a number of claims to partisan gerrymandering in the past, but it's never been proven. Um, and so what, what this case is proposing is um, basically a mathematical formula to prove uh, whether gerrymandering, partisan gerrymandering, dilutes the voting power of one political party over another. And it's a matter of how extreme it is. In other words, we're not talking about just a little bit of gerrymandering. <laughs> we're talking about maps that, uh, in the first uh, runout in the assembly, there were 200,000 more Dem votes than in the assembly than Republican, and it produced a 60-39 Republican majority. So we're talking about incredibly stacked, right? Right, and and I think it's also important to really highlight how kind of creepy they can get all this information. They have like really just like invasive data that is collected online about like your voting habits or, you know, they can just like find out a lot of information about you and really like down to the very house, um, like draw a line to benefit, you know, and skew certain districts one way or another. So... Tell us what, obviously, so tell us a little bit more now about the town hall that's going to be occurring on Tuesday uh, in trying to get more public attention and more public education about this issue and, and not only this lawsuit, but other efforts to try to deal uh, with this uh, issue of gerrymandering. Yeah, so one of the things we really want to make sure to do is to make sure that the public knows about this so that we're prepared um, so that we can be asking all of our candidates for state legislative races and all of our governor candidates whether they support nonpartisan redistricting reform. Um, but we will be having a town hall that talks about this Supreme Court case, Gil v. Whitford, and talks about nonpartisan redistricting reform. Um, we have a number of speakers. Um, it's coming up Tuesday, September 12th, uh, 6 o'clock. That's my birthday, Anna. Oh, what a great day to birthday. have an event. That's awesome. It's going to be an awesome event, I'm sure. Matt's yeah. Everything good happens that annual day. Annual 29th birthday. Yeah, I'm going to be 59. I thought you were 63. Yep, something like that. I we feel that way today. Sore back. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry I'm, I interrupted I'm, you. I heard there's a town hall going on on September 12th. And <laughs> yeah, well, we planned it. It's like for also a surprise birthday party for Matt. Sweet. Yeah. I hope we win the case that day. Yeah, uh, that's it's right. It doesn't not start. Gonna, yeah, that's not possible. So I interrupted you uh, at the public library on September twelfth at. Yeah. Okay. So September twelfth, <laughs> six o'clock. Doors open at five forty-five. So it's six to seven at the Washington Park Library at twenty-one twenty-one Sherman Boulevard in Milwaukee. Can well, I ask you a quick question, Anna? Yeah. So, you know, you have been doing this work for a long time, and uh -huh. there are certain issues that we work on yep. that are like, get people really riled up yeah. about it. Are you as 
surprised as I am to see the outpouring of support for such a sexy issue like gerrymandering and redistricting. Yeah, I really am. <laughs> it's really fascinating. You know, yeah, because there there are a lot of issues impacting our communities that are very, very real um, and like scary, like this DACA right, and immigration right. reform that you just talked about. Um, the lack of family supporting jobs, let in our drinking water, poop in our drinking water if you live near a CAFO, you know, like it's just, there's lots going on. But this clearly, um, people are realizing that this has diluted our power to make an impact on any of those issues, right? No one was, think about it, no one was asking for Act 10. No one was asking for right to work. No one is asking, you know, for for us to defund public schools. This is able to happen because this is a part of like a hot, like extreme right wing agenda. And what's happening is our legislators are not accountable to the people because now what we have is our legislators choosing their voters and not the other way around. There, if if I'm correct, this is gaining momentum beyond just the general public too. We're starting to actually see movement amongst Republicans and more. Maybe I don't. We we've used the term moderate Republicans before, and we're not sure what that means anymore. But this is gaining gaining a lot of momentum beyond just the general public. Also, counties have been passing a lot of. I saw. Didn't another? No, a, a committee passed. Uh, a, a referendum this week in support of a fair map. So what, what are we at? Like 20-some counties have passed resolutions? So far, 24 counties 24. have passed. These are non-binding resolutions just calling on the state legislature to pass nonpartisan redistricting reform. There are two bills currently that would, that would do that. Um, they're companion bills in the Senate and the Assembly, SB 13, AB 44. So we're pushing to get those out of committee. Right now, they're stuck in that uh, in the legislative committees, chaired by Representative Kathy Bernier and Senator Devin LeMayhew. If you'd like to call them, please bother them <laughs> and let them know that we want a public hearing on SB 13 and AB 44. You know, I have an idea for those bills that might help them pass. Maybe if you like had a Foxconn amendment to it, um, they might pass. Yeah. Yeah, you should consider that. You should take that back and see if we can make Fox that happen. Foxconn could be its own district. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We just I like seed that. it, and then I think it'll pass. But it'd be kind of like the prisons where the workers can't vote, <laughs> yeah. but something like that. But I'm they sure all get can, counted there. Right. But I they like. get counted for apportionment purposes, and Foxconn gets to vote. Yeah. Yes. So do all the big businesses then like get? Like, if Foxconn gets a representative, then, They're like, people. what votes. about Harley-Davidson? Two votes and... for them. Okay. Yeah. Two vo okay. They're all okay. people, wow. so it seems, stands to reason. So, <laughs> hashtag democracy. So we're sorry that we took you down that little... We're little, not at all sorry. ...little, little uh, funnel sorry, of hate. Um, so, first of all, thank you for coming on the podcast. And, again, give out the details this Tuesday on my birthday what's going down. Yeah, even more exciting than Matt's birthday is the fact that National NPR, not WUWM or WPR, National NPR is going to be coming to this town hall. So it's going to be really fun and exciting. Um, speakers include Dale Schultz and um, um, uh, Tim Cullen and Shante Nelson. It's going to be great. September 12th, which is a Tuesday, doors open at 545. It ends at 7 and it's at the Washington Park Public Library, 2121 Sherman Boulevard. And you can find that info on our website. 
and it shows you, citizenactionwi.org, and it shows how big a national issue this is. The Wall Street Journal was at North Central Wisconsin Co-op's Lincoln County Town Hall last week on Fairmap. So this is a huge thing. The whole country is watching this case. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us. And of course, uh, thank you. we thank you and your co-op leaders for leading on this important issue. Thanks for having me. And with that, we need to bring this Battleground Wisconsin to an end. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes it happen every, every week. And of course, Anna and Lou Sosa for joining us. And with that, we will see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.